in this episode. Serious Spider-Man movie, Homecoming. Yeah, it was all right. It was good. I mean, you know, serious Spider-Man movie, Far From Home. Essentially, that's like the sum total hype of my life. Serious Spider-Man movie, colon, Home Invasion. I mean, these days, it's such a bloody minefield. Why would you even bother? I remember my good old Uncle Jack. He always taught me that with great power comes license to just take buckets of money out of the cinema ocean. Except, apparently, the people in charge of Star Wars. We we can't afford to screw this one up. We've got to put in a good team. We've got to get a committee. We've got to get this really ironed out. Hey, let's make all our characters blow raspberries. That'll be fun. Like, just make a good, solid two hours of entertainment about this one hero we put on the poster. Thank you. Been there, done that. Got a spidery t-shirt. Don't count me out. I'll help you edit it, but that's about it. The, the rampant speculation that this is just negotiating in the public eye uh, is probably correct, I would say. Uh, disinterest is my new sanity. But I don't want it, so take it away. You see, this? I'm grim and depressed, Leo. I'm fed up a bit A bit sad and paunchy and divorced and wondering where it all went wrong. Uh, being carried away as clearly crazy and delusional. I'm sure we discussed that at length in our last episode, Ian. Aren't you sure about that? We have a playlist, sir. I will probably get rid of that and have Disney Plus instead. Here we are uh, at the sort of a sort of a preamble, sort of a prologue to the episode about Spider-Man. Uh, and, and why, why Ian, are we here? I don't know why I'm asking you that, because I know why we're here. I but can, I can but you also should know. I can speculate. speculate away. Well, I think since we made our episode, there's been some developments in the MCU regarding Superman's place in it and his absence from it. And then shortly Spider-Man, after that, Spider-Man, not Superman's place. That, Spider-Man's place, not Superman. We're not starting rumours here. As a, you said, I've Superman. got this story all wrong. Hang on, let's shuffle my notes. (laughs) There's been some developments regarding Spider-Man's future in the MCU and how he doesn't have one and how Sony have taken their bat and ball and gone home. And that was the end of the story and everyone was sad. But since then, there's been another update that he's now back in the MCU. So in many ways, we've come full circle. So why do we need to say anything at all? Well, you're about to tell me, aren't you? Well, it's because the show kind of takes place in this uh, world where the announcement was made the week we recorded the show that Spider-Man had exited the MCU. and I go off on a bunch of wild tangents about why this isn't such a bad thing and how things would be all right in the end. But the end came a lot sooner than perhaps many people could have envisioned. Uh, and the, the only other slight wrinkle is that we think, uh, as in the fan community, believe that in addition to the offer that Disney initially made to Sony early in 2019, they also allowed for Tom Holland to appear in Sony Spider-Verse, things like Venom and Morbius and things like that. that that's the allowance that they made in order that they accepted Disney's 25% split or whatever. We, we believe we, it hasn't been officially, officially confirmed yet, but Kevin Feige, who's a man who's careful with his words, he did say, you know, Spider-Man is the only superhero with the power to cross cinematic universes. Hint, hint. He didn't actually say hint, hint. That's just, I've added that just so that. So yeah, so as you listen to the show, bear in mind that when we recorded it, we didn't know that was going to happen, but that happened. And I think that's, uh, 
I think that's fine. Yeah, really, that's all it is, really. Uh, I just wanted to point out the context in which our conversation takes place, that being Tom Holland not now going to the MCU, whereas, in fact, now in the world that we all live in, when you're listening to this, uh, he is. So, yeah, that's it, that's it, really. Uh, Enjoy the show. So, you know, if just to recap there, so if he did leave, it was going to be fine. He's back again, it's fine. So, generally speaking, things are fine. As far as Spider-Man goes, yeah. Okay, now what about Superman? Hi, my name is Spider-Man, and I'll be your superhero today. have a problem. It's the Spider-Verse. I know it's popular, I know you like it, but look, when you have... No, Ian, I'm shutting you down. No, no, stop. I'm not even going to talk about that anymore. Fact, show's over. Bye. Oh, well, if you'd like to hear more about our podcast, wish to join the discussion, you can find us on our website, which is uh, Facebook forward slash 80s kids. That's 80s as in numbers. Hang on, are you serious? Ah, the skits are back. The skits are back. You see, except that was a really... That was like a micro-skit. In that micro-skit, it, of course, Disney uh, was being played there by Ian, opening the show with the usual, you know, overtures that would begin a topic of discussion. And, of course, playing Sony Pictures. Of course, by the time we actually put this show up, I imagine the whole kit and caboodle will have changed. So, dear listener, uh, just know that at this stage, it is the week after the whole Spider-Man, Sony memes with I hate you Sony 3000 and all of this stuff that happened last week for us so that's where we are where you are probably it's um, a different picture altogether due to the fact that the rampant speculation that this is just negotiating in the public eye uh, is probably correct I would say would you not say Ian well I hope so you haven't you haven't looked at headplates You've only looked at headlines, so... Well, yes, because I, I kind of predicted this was going to happen. I thought, when have Sony ever made a good decision in their life? And I, I fully predicted that having had one success with Venom, they would uh, grab their Tom Holland and run away with him. So when the, when the news broke, I was so kind of ho-hum about it, I didn't bother reading anything. And so just, just by absorbing headlines, it seems to be uh, negotiations broke down, uh, blame Disney. Yeah. Uh, I mean, earlier, uh, before we started recording, you sent me a message to the uh, effect that you were extremely down and uh, bitter and angry about the state of genre entertainment as a whole. I'm intrigued. Tell me more. I wish to subscribe to your newsletter. (laughs) There used to be a time you were passionate and you would you would complain about things. And it's almost like that part of me is now gone. If, If I were to sum it up in one sentence, it would be. I have fallen out of hate 
with the current state of genre entertainment. It's it's like I can feel the apathy creeping in. Uh, disinterest is my new sanity. If you came to me today and said, Ian, I want to start a podcast and talk about genre entertainment, I'd be like, don't count me out. I'll help you edit it, but that's about it. I mean, these days, it's such a bloody minefield. Why would you even bother? It's a lot of things. It's just a sort of downward quality spiral that seems to be happening. It's the what I call the blamange thing going on that everything has to be politicized these days and you get it from both directions so no one can just sit there and enjoy some escapist entertainment it's it's the inability to escape the dreadful things in our world because all the creatives feel they have to make allegories in everything they do yes i know nazis are bad can we just white supremacy is bad as well yes i'll sign that one too now can we just move on to something else we can uh, enjoy for a while i've got this state now with like i can't enjoy doctor who I can't enjoy Star Wars. And the, the comic book movies, you look at the lineup and it's like, it's kind of heading the same way the comic books did. And the comic books aren't good. And that particular war is so, th- an apathy is so bad now. The comic, book, the comic book market is in a death spiral and no one seems to be bothered to pull out of it. And it's like, well, I guess the MCU's kind of dead as well. I mean, this whole Spider-Man thing was kind of the nail in the coffin, really, wasn't it? Bye-bye, everyone. Uh, end of podcast. So if you want to give your opinions about anything we've said here, you can go to our website. Yeah, it's no, a counterpoint. Uh, I mean, I am having no problem enjoying what happens. And indeed, if we were to look at uh, franchise movie production as a game of poker, we have to be honest, Sony does have outs. It has tricks up its sleeve. It has things that it, they can do... I mean, it has to be said, and it is true. You watched Venom? Yes, I saw it on a plane. You saw Venom on a plane? Well, that's good. That's uh, I want this M muddy funsting symbiote off this muddy... Anyway, yeah. So I saw Venom when it, it came around on uh, the streaming service that I'm going to junk in favour of Disney Plus when Disney Plus is I'm thing. thinking the same thing um, as well, you know. <laughs> uh, not, that, not that streaming service. I'm totally keeping... Right, uh, just to... To give everyone a roundup of my streaming habits, I've got Prime because Prime comes with my Prime. So why would I not have Prime? It would be stupid. It would be like going, well, I realise this is a benefit of me wanting to get things next day delivery, and it's kind of like a side benefit of that. But I don't want it, so take it away. I would never do that. That's not something that I would do. So therefore, and actually, Prime's getting really good now. I actually watch Prime a fair bit. I was talking about Netflix. I was just doing a State of the Nation. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, Netflix, I love. I love all of Net- Netflix's original projects. I've got a list as long as you are. I'm never going to run out of stuff to watch on Netflix. Now TV, which is basically Sky Cinema, it's kind of like the video shop of streaming services now that we don't have video shops and now that streaming rentals are too expensive. Although, technically, if I junk now and used streaming service rentals, Technically, I'd be paying less money. Oh, dear, now. You've just put that thought in my head. The point is, I'm paying a subscription for Now TV to have access to a wide library. Two things. One, uh, it doesn't like the wired connection to my network, like the one that pumps straight into the house, so it keeps skipping if you don't do that. So I have to watch it by streaming from a a Wi-Fi-enabled device to the Chromecast. You know, and it's just movies that have already been out to rent for four months or something by the time they get onto your telly box. So the summary of that is 
I would probably get rid of that and have Disney Plus instead because Disney Plus looks like like it's going to be pretty good. I was probably going to get it just to give The Mandalorian a go, which had its trailer drop this very day as well. So this is this is dating the recording of this podcast. But uh, actually, I was talking about Netflix. You say you're never going to get bored of Netflix. I am thoroughly bored of Netflix. I find it so hard to get into anything they're putting out. It's like this is saying I'm, I'm I feel so jaded. I'm just resisting everything at the moment. It's it's. I mean, I'm not going to go to Netflix Netflix because my sister watches it as well. Uh, but it, it is just like there's very little there that seems to kindle me at all because I'm just so used to how both sides are going to talk it up. I know the philosophies of both parties and they play out in my head and it's just like, oh, I, 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 I can see their talking points. I can see their talking points. They're both real. Uh, so I feel like someone from the end of the uh, Body Snatchers movie or something at the moment uh, being carried away as clearly crazy and delusional but I fear the apocalypse is coming. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, this is sort of uh, spun off into a tangent about streaming services, but that's kind of part of the point, I think. The point is that Marvel have unveiled Phase 4 and even added to it in the last couple of, couple of days as we record, and they didn't even, they didn't even have Spider-Man in there or another Avengers flick or guardians of the galaxy guardians of the galaxy is a known quantity that is not going to be finished until james gunn has finished something else but he is going to be doing it and they're just putting a good long space between the thing besides which uh thor whatever it is is going to be a guardians movie by the back door as they've proven that they can successfully mix flavors every so often like with spider-man homecoming they're just putting thor plus Guardians of the Galaxy, to make a sort of cheeky Thor's Guardians of the Galaxy extra episode, as it were. So I'm not really worried about Guardians of the Galaxy or the Avengers or indeed really Spider-Man. The point is that what they've done is they've gone, well, we're about to launch Disney Plus and we want to make Disney Plus the real home of actual Marvel television after the failed Netflix corridors and mumbling mumblecore experiment so we're just going to really concentrate on uh, establishing the fact that it's going to grow I mean the hugeness of the idea I really hope I mean they haven't actually released obviously any details other than titles that your Disney Plus series of content are the now well established prestige 8 hour movie Netflix version of series and not like 22-episode behemoths. Uh, but yeah, I mean, did you hear they, today they announced Ms. Marvel, which I'm taking means the latest Ms. Marvel, um, and Moon Knight and She-Hulk as series that are going to come to Disney+. Plus. Uh, yes, I did hear about Ms. Marvel, because uh, uh, on, on the various feeds that I get, the, various, the, the moaning came in. Uh, to be fair, the coin book upon which it is based is, is notoriously terrible. Uh, so I can understand why they're dreading it. It all depends what they do with it, I suppose. The point of it is that um, that's the kind of content that I think the the film slate indicates that they are going to let the MCU in movies tick over for a bit, and they're going to concentrate on hooking people into Disney content, uh, to Marvel content on Disney Plus, which is fine. So far, they've executed a pretty flawless game plan. And the thing, and the other thing, which I kind of said before, which has come to pass, is that they got to the end of of what they've currently done, and we're currently in MCU limbo, just 
waiting for something to happen. I mean, we've got dates and stuff. We're not really sure. It's new properties and, and what have you. But really, they kind of won. I mean, even before all this debacle happened there, Far From Home dropped. Everybody loved it. Kevin Feige has done the equivalent of a mic drop. It's like, there we go. Yeah. What do you want? It, it is but, a bit... It is a kind of thing that we're never going to have this high again. We can never... Surely, Leo, we can never get as hyped for a film like we did for Endgame. Uh, you know, speak for yourself. Doctor Strange has a movie coming up in which he uh, faces the multiverse of madness. I mean essentially that's like the sum total hype of my life in that title right there plus She-Hulk is getting her own television series which is the other thing I've kind of been waiting for the, but the thing about this is these are quite rarefied uh, ambitions for life you know when Doctor Strange the movie came out I was like well I never thought I'd see that and now they've got Doctor Strange and weirdest subtitle of a movie ever like people don't even understand the title, let alone, and it's still going to make bank. So this is good for me. I'm not, not sure who else was waiting their entire life for a Doctor Strange versus the Multiverse of Madness movie. I'm also well aware that I am the only person who thought She-Hulk would make a great television series. I think She-Hulk has, has a good reputation from the 90s runs, as I understand how mythology kind of goes. I think it's, the, it's only for the latter day. Um, the quality of writing... It's not, not controversial to say, I think, the quality of writing hasn't been great in the actual uh, published Marvel books for some time. That's been in the doldrums for a while. So I think that's why everyone's perhaps feeling a bit negative about it all. Again, it depends who they assign to it. depends what they do with it. Certainly, it's never not a Marvel property, I know. But a lot of people have been a bit kind of, huh, about Batwoman. We may be, right now, this is a bit of a weird thing, because we're recording the Spider-Man show, but the Batman show will be released first. So we're now talking as if we've talked about something we haven't talked about it yet. I'm sure we discussed that at length in our last episode, Ian. Aren't you sure about that? Yes, you raised a number of points, uh, which I'm sure I took on board. Anyway, yeah. so moving on. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with any of these characters. It's what you do with them that matters. But I, I do have this horrible feeling that these days there is there is a feeling they have to do some messaging. And the messaging is something I'm kind of over. Just give me a nice story about some heroes and some bad guys doing some stuff. Well, I mean, I would... I would uh point you uh, very clearly to the fact that the only reason the X-Men even exist is because of messaging. It's not only about messaging. It's it also about being a gang of outcasts, and everyone could feel like an outcast. It's like a, a, the gang of friends you wish you had when you were in school. Not just about, oh, it's about gays. Oh, no, it's, it's about uh, white supremacy. It's not just about those things. Uh, well, I don't think anything it, is. But, you know, well, neither do I. But it's apparently, um, these days, it's all it can be about, I think, uh, in the current climate. Right, okay. So, I'm grim and depressed, Leo. I'm fed up. Yeah, I can, un I can understand your grim and depression. Maybe we come back to this. Let's centre on, because what's really interesting about all of the new MCU stuff, uh, and indeed Disney Plus content, is that um, all of the things that they're now, all the eggs they're putting in their new MCU basket are as far away from Spider-Man. So there's this tension between what's happened to Spider-Man versus what they've got on the slate. I mean, I remember back in the day uh, reading a thing about Spider-Man was the most recognisable superhero around the world. Like, he was the most people recognised Spider-Man. And he's at this stage, you know, we do have ten feature films with Spider-Man 
which have been made in the last two decades. Like before that, the best you could get was a, a TV movie uh, yeah. starring Nicholas Hammond. He was in production hell for a very long time. In one of the franchises is ten movies of which th- a third are, are arguably the bottom of the barrel, but only a third. So two-thirds of Spider-Man is rated fresh, uh, to borrow a Rotten Tomatoes thing. You know, I mean, Spider-Man's done pretty well. I think 20 years, 66% of movies out of a 10-movie run deemed to be okay, if not better. Spider-Man's doing okay. I mean, this is the thing. People say, oh, Sony Pictures, they can't make a Spider-Man movie, but they specifically can't make anything after Spider-Man 3 up until Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, and we're not even counting Venom, which is an 11th Spider-Verse movie, which did surprisingly well. I mean, people like that movie, but a lot of them, pre- uh, like, suffix their liking for Venom with, but they got lucky because it is stupid. How did you feel about Venom when you saw it? It was fine. I was quite pleased that the um, they made Eddie Brock quite a flawed character. I like the fact that, that the symbiote has this bond with him because the symbiote's sort of quite self-serving and a little bit cowardly as well. Uh, so that was that was kind of like oh that's interesting how how they made the bond in that movie because obviously in the in the comic books uh, it's all because the symbiote is a jilted lover and Eddie Brock hates Spider Man as well uh, so that's what forms them together although it is odd having an origin story that does not include Spider Man wearing the symbiote for a while and then having to go cold turkey well yeah but I think I think they, the things they did right which are not really acknowledged are. I think one of the reasons why people are willing to take it, like the Venom that came out, for a movie about an alien symbiote that chews people's heads off, it's kind of light. I mean, who the hell is Riot? Nobody cares. It's like, it's, they, they did learn, you know, from things like Batman Begins. They didn't go straight into Carnage or any of that. They just were like, yeah, here's a thing. We're going to make it mostly about Eddie Brock talking to a stomach parasite. Do you know what I mean? It's the, 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 and so people were then primed by the end to be like, oh, we'll give it a, give it a pass because we didn't really care about the villain per se. I think it's one of the strongest things. Eddie Brock is very well cast. He's, he's a likable yeah. kind of subhero, not anti-hero, subhero. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so the casting was excellent. Surprised they got him. Uh, I hope they can retain him. And of course, they had, they had their post-credit well, scene. Well, they have. Well, well, they said their post-credit scene uh, where they set up uh, for a Carnage sequel. They've definitely got a second crack of the whip. Uh, it's all signed up. Tom Hardy's Bob on Keen, and probably even more Bob on Keen, bearing in mind the fact that the director of the new one is going to be Andy Serkis. So, you know, th- there's nice things to be said, you know, about that. And then to follow that up a couple of months later with the what people were hailing as the greatest superhero movie of the year in the year that Avengers Infinity War came out uh, was was the Spider-Verse. Did you catch the Spider-Verse movie in the end? I did not. Well, you're a fool and you're missing out big style. I just, I, I just couldn't kindle enthusiasm to watch it. Despite the fact that it is, uh, you know, people are arguing it's possibly the best Spider-Man movie that exists. No, I'm still, I'm still not, no. I do honestly believe that you do mess with the alchemy when you keep introducing more and more Spider-Men uh, and spider distaffs and other things into it all. It, it's, it worked really well. 
like everybody was like i'm amazed it worked really well i mean the point is sony have been kind of coy about what that means uh with regards to you know mcu spider-man but the possibility that spider-man from the mcu falls into a sparkly hole and that explains why he's no longer best friends with the avengers is there on the table if they want to go that way that's one of their outs Oh yeah, well, yeah, Peter, but yeah, I suppose they could explain it that way. He's temporarily fallen into the Sony-verse, and he can temporarily and he can temporarily fall out again as negotiations improve. In a way, that's genius, and it's interesting that um, Lord and Miller. What's really interesting is back in the day, it was all about Joss Whedon, who's since God, retired. He, yeah, I guess he's a, he's a spent cartridge, isn't he? I mean, I think there's a, you know, and he wept for there were no more worlds to conquer. He's like, I kind of did everything, really. I mean, I even did Justice League a bit. A bit. Not lots, just a bit. He's done television series. He's done movies. He directed, you know, the seminal Avengers movie, which everybody loves. Um, and the one about James Spader being a weird robot, which, you know, wasn't quite as good, but. Still fine, okay. I mean, what what is he going to do? Well, I mean, it's like really, which is going to give him a feeling oh, I've gone to the next the next level. I mean, he's a different player to Feige. Kevin Feige is clearly a producer who's like, okay, great, I beat that level. What's next? This is what I think. This is partially why Phase Four is this like glittering carpet of weirdos and non-entities is because he was I want to make loads of money out of these guys you know it's just like that and so in a way Spider-Man does nothing for him because it's like well it'd be easy to win the game with Spider-Man it's like he's playing like a Street Fighter game or some one of these fighting games where there's good characters who acknowledge it's easy to win with these characters they're great for beginners and now he's on like insane mode where he wants to get all the high scores and bust all the platinum trophies but just with the shittest characters who are really hard to develop, because that's all that's left to him now. Because <laughs> he's beaten everything else. Well, I don't think he needs to en- endure the stress of the uh, of corporate production anymore, does he? Hey, want, I presume he wants to go off and have some nice, quiet projects where it's just him in charge and he can do his own thing, because that's probably what I want to do if I was Joss Whedon at this point. Not Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon himself is like kind of, I don't think there's anything left for me to... There's no game left for me to play. That's what Joss Whedon's doing. I'm talking about Feige. Feige is the oh, one sorry. who's a producer who is still in charge of the Marvel uh, Studios oh, yeah, it's movie and now Disney Plus division. He's like, I mean, he's, if you compare Joss Whedon to him, obviously Feige was in it as long as Joss Whedon, but Joss Whedon kind of tapped out. And Feige's now, I think, the challenge for him is making people adore a Wanda and Vision series or Lord help us, a Falcon and Winter Soldier series, as much as they adored, uh, you know, Avengers Endgame. It's like, that's my game now, because the other games are all boring. Like, making another Spider-Man movie? <laughs> Been there, done that, got a spidery t-shirt. So, yeah, so he's he's that kind of player. Yeah, all of the people who are doing the things in this arena, yeah, so once we had Joss Whedon, now we've got, like, Many brother director pairings, basically other people who are hanging out in that area, who we now look to. Like if if you know you make another movie, I can't remember 
the names of the guys who directed all the Captain America movies and both Avengers Endgames. How terrible of me. But it was a pair of brothers anyway. If they make another movie, everybody's happy. Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, everybody's happy to have them make a movie, except apparently the people in charge of Star Wars. We've got people around who are doing, you know, the work in a a positive way. Uh, And more of them than Joss Whedon. Who would have ever uh, seen that was happening? I think what people are concerned about with Sony is that they did their absolute best to wreck uh, Spider-Man's watchability with Amazing Spider-Man 2. That is the only one that's like, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's not. Even Amazing Spider-Man 1, I watched again for curiosity. I'm like, yeah, this really is, I thought it was going in a direction that had potential when I first saw it, when there was nothing to compare it to. But now I have something modern to compare it to that works so much better. I can see all the red flags in that movie. But it is still a movie you can watch for red flags. Amazing Spider-Man 2 may as well just be someone waving a red tablecloth at the camera for two and a half hours. Well, it's, it's the film that famously they tried to set up their Spider-Verse characters, didn't they, which they always had the license to. And I'm just concerned that once, if, assuming they get Spider-Man exclusively again, this is obviously where they're going to go, build their own cinematic spider-verse universe and it's it's just like oh there's gonna be more there's gonna be more spin-offs and they're gonna well there are i mean we've we've got morbius with jared leto coming up venom 2 obviously but the thing is that what they i think the thing that tells you that they're not going to do what you just said is, is uh first of all the fact that the sinister six as mentioned in amazing spider-man 2 uh or at least alluded to are nothing like the kind of spin-offs they're making now i've always been uncertain as to what relates i mean it, it seems odd to me that lord and miller made this amazing uh movie which you've not seen and then just kind of disappeared but then obviously they're thinking of doing a second spider-verse movie the way people seem to work these days is you have some sort of it's a bit like uh, bond villains really you have some mastermind who goes around all the productions and just dab a paint here, tighten a screw there, and then off they go. And this is what makes your cinematic universe cohere, as it were. But I don't think Sony are ready to, and indeed Lord and Mello seem eccentric, let's put it that way, are ready to go, yeah, yeah, we're, you know, we're in a business partnership. Lord and Miller are the creative minds behind, they're the showrunner for the Spider-Verse. But if they are the showrunner for the Spider-Verse, lordy. Uh, as long as they do it properly, as long as these, these things get established, as long as you're going to have a Spider-Man 2 kind of thing, where they're just kind of shoehorning, basically like um, Batman v Superman, where there's like lots of things that's kind of shoehorned in to kind of like, oh, this is all the things that are coming later, people, is a distraction and it, 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 it pulls down what you're watching at the moment. It's like, just make a good solid two hours of entertainment about this one hero who you put on the poster. Thank you. Yeah, well, I think that's kind of, I mean, again, I think that uh, those platinum-hulled creatives who manage to navigate this tricky water do do stuff that is like, okay, well, look at it this way. They always have to be able to convince a bean counter that their strategy is going to make them money. So Spider-Verse, the animated movie, is like, well, we'll never present it as part of a franchise per se. Like, obviously, it's got Spider-Man on the 
the thing. But you've obviously given Spider-Man Prime to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, hence the reason why in this movie there's Spider-Man in Miles Morales' universe, Spider-Man who's Peter Parker B, who's like a paunchy Spider-Man, and then Spider-Gwen, obviously, which fits in very nicely, the way that she is in. And then you have uh, three novelty Spider-Mans who they've taken from the Spider-Verse graphic novel. These are the ones that are so far away from any of the others that they can just be there like to say, look, there's lots of different types of Spider-Man, rather than the ones where it's like, well, it's actually he's actually quite similar to the original Spider-Man, and that starts to make you confused. It's like anime Spider-Man, uh, who's actually a, a teenage girl, because obviously that's what would happen in an anime universe. Uh, and uh, Spider-Man noir, who's obviously a middle-aged guy in a trench coat, because that's what would happen in a noir version of Spider-Man. And Peter Porker, the spectacular Spider-Ham, who is like, you know, a cartoon character, because that's what would happen in a cartoon universe. That is fine, because then you have Miles Morales, who's like, no... He is the alternative version. He is like a different version of Spider-Man Prime, which is genius because, of course, in the comic continuity, he was exactly created to be yeah. an alternative alpha Spider-Man. Yeah. So, he, yeah, and then, he, I believe the character actually comes, you know, in the, he's in, in the main line now. That's because he literally transited over from his own personal universe. And then you have Spider-Man Alpha or Super Alpha, who's the Spider-Man before Miles Morales in Miles Morales' universe, who's like, if Spider-Man was just like a square-jawed jock, even has blonde hair if and stuff. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and then you have Spider-Man B, who is like a bit sad and paunchy and divorced and wondering where it all went wrong. And then he's sort of supposed to be... So essentially, if you take Spider-Man... Alpha Alpha, currently being portrayed in the MCU, but not anymore. If you split him into, well, this is the, the boast of his potential, and then this is him when all things have gone a bit wrong. Those are the other two Spider-Men. And of course, Spider-Gwen is just from the alternative universe where it was Peter Parker that died, and her that got bit by the spider, uh, so they kind of swap roles. So that's fairly straightforward. And so you put all of that together, and it works. Like they they were very careful about it. Picked up. They also said, "Well, we're presented as a single thing," and it was a single thing. But it did have this kind of like, "We'll leave it open ended" thing. Then people absolutely loved it. Um, but it didn't make you know a lot of money because it's a cartoon for a start. But that means that the production costs were a lot lower, and they did make a hell of a lot of profit because it was like 20 million to make it and it made like 175 million so everybody was popping champagne corks and that spider-verse notion is now in the popular culture and people have something to reference back to that's a cheery innovative funny exciting animated action movie if Peter Parker from the MCU suddenly pops through a bubble and goes I don't really understand this multiverse well we have a movie that will explain everything you need to know just over here. So, you know, they, they people have strategies and tactics and what have you. And I think this brings us to our final talking point for this episode, which is, as we've discussed, Spider-Man spent a long time in production hell. Then they had a 66% hit rate up to the present day on making movies featuring this incredibly popular 
comics character. And now, when we're talking about the future of that franchise, which has had more ups than downs, we're talking about people having to have tactics, strategies, uh, about big studios having arguments about who's going to do what and when. The point is that Spider-Man's low points have all come about because the money person's reaction to Spider-Man, when you look at him purely as a an entity which might or might not make you money, is that it's a license to print money. And I don't think Amazing Spider-Man 2 did that badly. It just underperformed. And they were kind of certain that if they made Amazing Spider-Man 3 with Andrew Garfield, they were going to take a bath on it. So, which is why they came up with this MCU diversion uh, in order to go, look, look, over here, it's good. But mostly Spider-Man has been a license to print money, so the, the bean counters have been correct. But all this, all this strategizing and moving back and forth and playing mind chess about who's got the rights and what they're going to do with them implies that they're not confident that they're going to make money every time Spider-Man's rolled out. Good. That's exactly the uh, creative fear you need to have. You really want to go like, we did, we can't afford to screw this one up. We've got to put in a good team. We've got to get a committee. We've got to get this really ironed out. We want to be very, we've got to test screenings, test screenings, reshoots. This has to be a guaranteed success. We don't want to half-ass it. Superhero movies can bomb. They do bomb. If we screw up our reintroduction of Spider-Man, we're in a lot of trouble. I honestly think that the vast majority of cinema goers are very simple, uncomplex creatures uh, who just go there to be entertained. And perhaps they're not even fully aware that there is some sort of rights division going on. You know, one superhero movie is much like another, and some of them just haven't all meet up sometime. Even though your Spider-Verse explanation is very good, and you can even slightly reference it somehow within the movies themselves, whilst maintaining strict divisions of license, and perhaps that will satisfy the fans about how they can reconcile all this, the average viewer is just going to think it's another Spider-Man movie. The fact that it's now just Sony going it alone is largely lost on them, no matter how much the media talks about it. I, I don't necessarily have a counterpoint to you. I think Spider-Man will be fine. It's, it's a character that even if he comes out with an utterly terrible movie, it's only a matter of time until he comes back again in some other form. Just please, God, no, not another origin movie. Uncle Ben has suffered enough. Uh, yes, okay. Oh, well, as the meme says, you know, Uncle Ben, like, I don't want another reboot. I hate getting shot, uh, at which Thomas and Martha Wayne clear their throats and yes. look at him pointedly. We have a playlist, sir. I think this is the point. I mean, we, what we've talked about is that I think genre... Right, okay, so the original title of the, this episode is Spider-Verse, if genre's so easy, then why is it so hard? The answer is when people kind of stroll in thinking they're just going to make a bunch of bucks and and count it all the way to the bank and it doesn't matter what. This is this is kind of describes, outside of the whole superhero genre whatsoever, exactly where horror is right now. Horror movies make money as long as you follow a formula and the formula that you follow is not to spend too much money on them other than that and then you'll make some money back. But other than that, there really is no uh, bar for content quality below which a horror movie can sink where if you've got the formula right you won't make money and that's why horror movies are the way they are today children well you know with horror movies it's, it's not a genre that i'm personally a fan of 
But at the same time, you have to say they do give the fans what they want. I mean, the fans have a very simple list of what they want, which makes it easier, I suppose. But it, it, it's kind of hard to disappoint in a horror movie, isn't it? Wouldn't you say? I'm mean, not saying that. Right. Like it's, it's no, easy. this is not. This is. This is not that. This is not the case. I think if we were going to go for a potted history of the horror movie, up until the late seventies, uh, people making uh, horror movies or indeed psychological thrillers, as they also like to call them, The Exorcist is apparently a psychological thriller and not a horror movie because uh, you know it's really good and stuff. Yeah, you'd have horror movies that were like the B picture. So uh, the things that uh, Frankenstein, Dracula, all the universal things became the sort of B-picture level. But then you had your quality horror like Don't Look Now and The Exorcist and so on. But the problem is that sometimes in the bargain bucket version, e.g. Halloween, they would cross the line. And so it became this game of, well, usually horror is like low budget, makes a little bit of money, but then crosses, then occasionally the, the low budget crosses the line and makes a lot of money because apparently what you need to make a horror movie is some sense of how the genre works and not necessarily all the other things. So that's like a unique talent. But then you also have prestige horror, such as Don't Look Now or the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where you're already putting quite a bit of money into the basket and you're expecting to make a return. However, that kind of thing, the dichotomy between well, the B pictures sometimes step over the line and get into the big leagues. People became more and more obsessed with well, production companies, became more and more obsessed with that mechanic. Because, of course, if you made the B picture that made a ton of money, you made more money than if you made a prestige horror picture that then made, you know, washed its face. You would obviously be always shooting for the B picture. So that over the 80s, that's what happened. And especially with new advances in like rubber makeup and all of that kind of stuff. And with Jean Carpenter working all the time and what have you, there were a lot of low budget movies that made in their time a lot of money. And so as the 90s progressed, the number of prestige horror projects dropped and dropped and dropped. And what happened to the horror audience was that you can never tell the difference. Like, if you look at the cover and the back and the trailer for a B-picture horror movie that's just going to be awful and not scary at all and just not what you wanted to watch tonight versus the same kind of project but the director really gets it in the script some point and blah 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 if you've just got the poster and the blurb and the trailer to go by you cannot tell them apart you have to actually watch the movie to know whether you've opened like you know to use a deal or no deal analogy a 1p box or a 10,000 pound box you don't know until you watch it and that means that over steadily over the last 20 years that mechanic the deal or no deal mechanic has become far more pressed. and in fact horror movies have become like loot boxes like 19 out of 20 are a 1p box and then one of them is like a 10 pound box and that's the level of horror that's because it's all you know it's gone on that line into that which is where we are so you occasionally get like a purge movie which isn't really a horror movie it's really more of an action thriller but with a sort of horror rubber nose on and i watch those but i'm the first to admit when it comes to actual horror movies it's very hard it's very hard it doesn't it, you don't get the universalism anymore some people love the babadook i wasn't that fussed you know what i mean and i think that's the way it's going to be from now on 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's horror movies. So, so that's, I mean, and in the Spider-Man thing describes exactly the same thing. Marvel have kind of proven with Iron Man, and they're making a, a friggin' Guardians of the Galaxy movie that's now one of their major franchises. I mean, at the time that Guardians of the Galaxy came out, I had read, read precisely one Guardians of the Galaxy book, and that was because I knew they were making a movie of it. Before they were making a movie of it, I, I had, didn't even know the Guardians of the Galaxy really existed at all. So they've proven that. It's, yeah, it's like a formula. It's like, it's not, we have to find the aspects of the cartoon book character that we're putting out, and we have to mine them out and put them on the screen in such a way that the audience responds. Because now superhero movies have kind of got, actually got a, a they're simpatico with horror movies. In that if they're following the formula or even rejecting the formula in specific ways, the audience will love it. The only difference is that horror movies can be made for 10p and a bag of chips, and superhero movies have to have some kind of a budget. But that reflects to me on what Venom was like. Venom seems to me to be Sony going, hmm, this? Like, <laughs> like, question? Like, and then when it worked, they were like, okay, but the point is that's very confusing to a studio, because there were things that people liked about about it, but things that people didn't like about it, but the things they didn't like about it. I mean, Venom 2 is very much an Iron Man 2 of superhero movies. Okay, people tolerate it, and it made a bunch of money, but you can't get away with doing that too often. I think that's where we are. thought into it and just done crank one out. This should be, this should be fine. Well, they, they clearly did. Yeah, they put exactly enough thought reco- as as the budget dictated. And they did. the thing is that they didn't want to be complacent. And I think if we've learned anything in this episode, it's that complacency is the killer. Yeah. I would. That's where I'm. Yeah, never assume it's going to be hit. Like, yeah, have that creative fear. You should come out older and exhausted. You should want to limp away like Joss Whedon going, well, that's it. What else can I do now? Uh, and if you haven't had that sort of real creative strain, you've done something wrong. It shouldn't just be another day at the office. It shouldn't be... It shouldn't just be uh, stamping in things we can uh, market later on on the assumption this film is going to be a runaway gangbuster success uh, because we had a name on the poster. Uh, so, yes, I, I, I hopefully uh, Sony goes into this absolutely terrified and petrified uh, that they could screw it up. And if that's their attitude, yeah. I'm a lot more confident about it. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that the way that it worked was that when Sam Raimi was... I mean, they had a real... With Sam Raimi directing that first Spider-Man movie, Sam Raimi was a chance for the Bean Counters, and Spider-Man was a chance for that Sam Raimi. They were like, "Really? Okay, we've got to make make sure this works." And so, back in the early 2000s, it did work, and well done to them. And then on the second one, they're like, "Okay, now we're going to shoot for the moon," but again, it's a difficult job. By Spider-Man three, I think Raimi still wasn't complacent per se. He wanted to round off his trilogy, but I think the accountants at Sony were very complacent at that stage. And that's why we got Spider-Man 3. And then they were forced to reboot, so that put enough fear back into them that they kind of tried a little bit with Amazing Spider-Man. But when Amazing Spider-Man... when people, I remember people coming out to Amazing Spider-Man going, yeah, it was alright, it was good. I mean, you know, it was it was different. I'm happy with the difference that it, it projected. Then the Bean Counters again completely lost the plot, hence Amazing Spider-Man 2, which point they went, we don't know what we need to do to just pump this out 
at like a sausage factory like UMCU guys have to be doing. Hey, let's sign a deal with them. See what they do. So they signed a deal with them. And then obviously, I think the thing about the MCU is that with Feige's attitude has become, okay, the last one was fine. Everybody loved it. They paid money. They went to the cinema. They saw it. They're treasuring it in their film collections. But what about the next one? It's become like an unbroken streak. He's got like a high score on Donkey Kong. So in a weird way, his mentality is never, it's complacency proof because he realizes with each success, the chance of another success diminishes and it's almost exponential. Uh, so, you know, um, and then DC is just like, Hey, let's make all our characters blow raspberries. That'll be fun. <laughs> um, so that's another way to go. I mean, it's another road. So there we go. The uh, final thought I have for this is that if Marvel did want to f- finish off uh, like a home trilogy, which is like serious Spider-Man movie, Homecoming, serious Spider-Man movie, Far From Home. Oh, no, we lost the rights. Deadpool, colon, home invasion. And they basically just do a parody of the two Spider-Man movies with Deadpool in it because now they own Deadpool. And I'm sure Ryan Reynolds would be great to, because the thing about Deadpool as a character is he does just make up whole scenarios. So this idea that it's like, oh, well, I told you that there was that thing about cancer and then being injected in a tube, but that's not how it really happened. Let me tell you how it really happened. I remember my good old Uncle Jack. He always taught me that with great power comes lots of guns. So I had to go and do that. But then he got shot by a gun, which left me very conflicted. Do you know what I mean? Like, you have this whole thing which basically undermines Spider-Man trope with Deadpool in the driving seat. Not that they're going to do that, but they could. They have the power. They have the rights. Yeah. Deadpool Deadpool should definitely be stand as a rebel to the over-seriousness of the MCU. Definitely. But I think, yeah, and I think that's great because you had Deadpool, which was Cool. And Deadpool 2, which was pushing it a bit, but still managed to come in. All right. Then Fox were bought by Marvel. So the thought that Deadpool 3 doesn't progress, either Deadpool 1 or Deadpool 2, and in fact drops the numbers and goes for the MCU, you know, because he can even make jokes about that. It's like, this would have been Deadpool 3, but of course we're in the MCU now, so all I get is a colon and a subtitle. (laughs) It's just, it's writing itself. If I can write the script off the top of my head then it's an open goal for them uh so there we go that was that was spider-man and uh i th- i think what i've taken away from this is that the real thing that kills any genre which i've kind of known in the beginning genre effort being successful is complacency somewhere in the pipeline if there's enough complacency at some stage then it kills it stone dead and that's the problem and it, the point is it's a the multiple thing. You could take the, the, the direction very seriously and the accounting, marketing, all of that production very seriously. But if the writer was having a bit of a laugh, you're already off to a bad start. But the people, but now of course it's such a big business that they only hire the best of the writers who are going to produce that script. But then if the script gets given to a director who thinks too, you know, who gets over clever, or if the bean counter like change the script because we want to get more merchandising, again it, it falls over. And this is the point. You have to have everybody, you know, to some extent, concerned about failure, pre-production, production and post-production. Everybody has to be like, this may look like a license to just take buckets of money out of the, you know, cinema ocean, but we could fail. And the minute that they stop thinking that, you get Catwoman. 
Yeah, as long as you've still got kids who have Spider-Men on T-shirts and lunchboxes, uh, you're winning. Uh, but as soon as that starts to dry up, you, that, that's when you know you've lost something. So if you want to communicate to us... Oh, right, first of all, I did promise the boys and girls at home via the uh, intertubes that I would see if anyone had uh, replied to our 80s kids, like it's recording day thing, because last time I said that they didn't, but in fact they had. So my wife, who's downstairs preventing a pitch invasion as we speak, says Sony need to hand Spider-Man back to Marvel, stroke the mouse, and let Tom Holland continue, which is, I think, the general feeling across the board, to be honest. And Mm. I am sick of all the Spider-Man messing about I love Spidey, but he's been ruined in Sony's care. Which is the well, the thing about it is, it is the case up to Spider-Man Two, but then the Spider-Verse. The thing is, what I'm noticing is that because it's a cartoon, people are very willing to discount Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse apparently is better than both of the MCU Spider-Man movies. I say apparently, in my personal opinion, that is an, an accurate reflection of what's happening. I would, as you said, you can watch any either the two decent MCU Spider-Man or Spider-Verse again, I would probably usually sit down to watch Spider-Verse again. So, therefore, equals better. So, yeah, you know, clearly they've got people now knocking about who know what to do with Spider-Man. I mean, they've got the same director for the Sony Spider-Man movie. They've got John Watts, who just did the two. So, it's, you know, they've got people who know how to do it now, which they've kind of freestyled off this Sony agreement, this uh, Marvel agreement. So, uh, I'm worried why people are so worried. I mean, I know Amazing Spider-Man 2 was a flustercluck, but that's not... That's well, When was that? It was Amazing Spider-Man ago. 2 was like 2014? A lot of spider water has gone under the spider bridge since then, surely. I think people just take past performance as a good indication of future performance. Disney have a good track record, and Spider-Man uh, seems to be quite comfortable where he was, and we were keen to see where they are going with it. Oh, right, okay, I'm going to hand the wife the microphone, although she hasn't got the headphones. So she's matter, all, I'm, all I'm saying is that, to be honest with you, if Sony really can't be bothered, hand it back! Well, what I'm saying is we don't know that they can't be bothered. They can't. But what about Spider-Verse? They were bothered to do that. The thing is, I don't think Spider-Verse made them enough money for them to care. No, they made them a lot of profit. Well, keep the cartoon. Okay. Keep the oh. cartoon. Just hands. Spider- so, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Right, back. hang on a second. This is who we really count. Dylan, you're three. What do you think of Spider-Man? Spider-Man. What do you think of him? Um, do you like Spider-Man? Yeah. Why do you like Spider-Man? Because I don't like Spider-Man. You don't like Spider-Man? Who's your favourite superhero? Um, Captain America. His favourite superhero is Captain America. You hear it here, folks. There we go. Followed yes. very closely by, I think, Iron Man. Uh, yes. So, you know, if people think that uh, we've uh, gone past our prime and become too complacent and the market is too saturated with 80s kids' movies, uh, where might they go to express that particular opinion? Oh, you want to do the thing unironically now? Well, okay, very well. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page on Facebook forward slash uh, Revenge of the 80s Kids, and that's 80s as in numbers. Please go there and like our page. Uh, we will promise to start posting there, especially when our podcasts are going up. Uh, but really, our podcasts what it's all about. And for those who want to go to Blogspot, what was it again? 80s Kids. So that's 80s as in letters. 
as a E-I-G H-T-I-E-S kids.blogspot.com the 80s kids.blogspot.com yes which is the old letters and there you'll find a full archive of our in every episode we've ever done sort of like a box set anyway uh, anything else and, to add? Uh, although uh, because of the uh, vagaries of time travel which is how how these recordings work. Uh, I'm not, I'm talking as if I have done something that I have not in fact yet done. But every episode in this season should be accompanied uh, by a, an article on trashmutant.com. Uh, so we'll be talking about the same, or I will be writing an article about the topic of the show, and then you'll be able to listen to the show. It's a whole, it's, it's like a sort of venom symbiosis type of thing. 80s kids plus trash mutant equals trash kids or 80s mutant. Both of which sound kind of cool. So, well, you be one, you know. and I'll be the other. Cool. Uh, excellent. Uh, so that's all the news that's new and improved from the Spider-Verse uh, this week. And technically, this is kind of the end of the season uh, for this year. Uh, so we've uh, covered a lot of the topics. We tried to get a little bit more beardy or allowed our beardness to float to the top. Um, and we love to hear feedback uh, about whether that's a, a thing that's working or whether it's not um and we'll you know uh you know see how that pans out for phase well it'll be four phase four of the 80s kids uh podcast universe as of next year uh so uh that being said for now i think the only thing that's left to do is to wave wave although you can't see it because this is an audio medium and say goodbye farewell 